0: So, Mark. Yes, the hero of this week's movie has a lot of very specific weapons.
1: I would say they are surprisingly effective for how they are. Described. Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm not saying like I'm not saying they're like specific in that it's whatever he could scrounge up on the streets. Like they serve very clear purposes. If you're fighting vampires, but you want to use a gun, wood tip bullets. They're like stakes <laughs> that you shoot. Remember in Dracula 2000 when they had, like, the crossbow that shot Stakes?
1: That was cool, too.
0: That movie is very similar to this one. We did a good job of picking that when we couldn't watch this.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a good... I forgot that was our substitute. Yeah. Wow. Uh,
0: So anyway, in the spirit of these specific weapons, like silver knuckles instead of brass knuckles or wood-tipped bullets, what is your favorite incredibly specific weapon from media?
1: So, I was recently rewatching one of my favorite movies of all time, Paul Feig's masterpiece, Spy.
0: <laughs> a fantastic film.
1: In which, as the um, top... I think it's her personality that is the top Mary Kay saleswoman in the state, where she sold the car to go to Europe. She receives her weapons in the form of... Uh, a knockout spray in a fungal cream tube that is also a pepper right, they're spray. All humiliating. Yeah, and then the best one is the massive pack of hemorrhoid wipes that are actually also chloroform.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh and the stool softener that is the antidote to all the poisons.
0: You know, it's funny because we talked about this being the cold open a couple hours ago, so I had a wild stew on it, and. Like, James Bond or variants thereof never occurred to me.
1: I mean, that's because Spy has mastered the hidden weapon.
0: I mean, there is Odd Job's
1: hat. That is a good one. That then there's also one. one of Austin Powers' better jokes is the Odd Job ripoff throwing his shoe, but they didn't add any knives or anything, so he just throws <laughs> his shoe.
0: <laughs> it's weird to have that joke before that time a journalist threw a shoe at George Bush.
1: I don't, was it before? It must have been. Yeah, because that
0: was like 2007. It was late in his term.
1: Wow. I also can't remember which Austin Powers, I guess they all came out probably before 2007. Yeah. I watched that movie way too often as a kid.
0: I have never seen an Austin Powers movie in its entirety. Really? I've seen part of, I think, The Spy Who Shagged Me on TV, and that's it.
1: I feel like it would be painful and it would not be as fun as I remember, but I feel like you also should see Austin Powers at some point because it is, you know, in the cultural lexicon, to say the least. Oh, I
2: definitely think I should. Yeah. If only just to get all the memes and references like that. Yeah, but no, like, Mike Myers in my house was Shrek or nothing. Honestly, fair, though.
1: I mean, it wasn't the love guru. (laughs) It
0: (laughs) It was not the love guru. Nor was it, what's the game show that he hosted for, like, a year as a fake persona, and, like, it took a while for people to realize it was Mike Myers? What? I have not you know heard of this? this. I've never heard of this. This was recent.
1: The Gong Show?
0: Yeah, so he hosted The Gong Show for a while as, okay, uh, a fictional British host named Tommy Maitland. All right. And it was, like, a while before it was announced, like, this is actually Mike Myers. What a weird play to make.
1: I can see how if you didn't know in advance, you would not realize it's him. But when you know it's him, it's also absurd that they didn't figure it out.
0: But it's the it's the Clark Kent thing. You don't see things you're not looking for. Right. Fair. Speaking of superheroes, that is where my very specific weapon comes from.
1: Ah, uh, Of course.
0: Which I didn't plan that transition. It is not the kryptonite-tipped arrow from The Dark Knight Returns because I don't like that comic. It is instead, I'm coming straight from an opening night screening of Spider-Man No Way Home. So I've had Spider-Man on my brain all day. And I was thinking about like 60s Spider-Man comics and remembering that time, I think it's like the first appearance of the Vulture. And Mark, you might not know this. The Vulture is an old bald man with wings who swoops down on people and takes their money.
1: I only (laughs) know the Vulture from the video games. But I love him. Sure.
0: Yeah. he's got, like, monk hair where he's, like, bald on top. But he's got white hair around the sides of his head. He only has one. But in the first comic that he's in, which is, like, Spider-Man 2. Like, Amazing Spider-Man number 2 or something. He's, like, really early in the comics. Peter Parker, like, can't figure out how to beat the vulture. Because the vulture is so menacing the way he swoops down. And, you know, up in the air, he can fly above the buildings that Spider-Man works on. So he can just fly away. So Peter... Invents a little device that he can hold. It looks kind of like the trigger to a bomb. And uh what it does is it's a demagnetizer because he discovers the vulture's wings fly via magnetism. And so by pushing the button on the demagnetizer, it will make the vulture fall to the ground.
2: This all violates what? so many laws of physics. There's a That's what? not how magnets You work. can't just turn off magnets.
0: You need to understand that in Marvel Comics, from 1960 until, like, now, Magnets could do anything. (laughs) There's nothing a Magnet cannot do.
2: The Insane Clown Posse was right. Magnets, how do they work?
1: If there was one thing I learned from F9, it is that Magnets are very cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, reading, like, 60s and 70s X-Men comics is hilarious, because they've got Magneto. So anytime Magneto shows up, he's doing all kinds of stuff. Like, he's making energy shields, so nothing can hit him. Why? Magnets! Magnets make energy shields.
2: I mean, that checks out. I'm not a scientist, so I can't argue with that logic. Magnets in
0: wings make the vulture fly. How do you stop it? A demagnetizer.
1: If you could just turn off the magnetism in an area, would that impact the Earth's magnetic
2: field or anything?
0: I would love to know. Like, does it make, like, compasses go haywire... Uh, what are all the things that it would mess with?
2: Probably makes compasses go haywire in that area, but I feel like the Earth is too big for a handheld demagnetizer to demagnetize. Oh, totally, yeah. But, like, yeah. it would mess with hard drives, maybe, mm. right? Your oh, phone everybody. would be kaput. Yeah, like, you weren't allowed to put your phone or your computer near a strong magnet, so it, would, it would break it somehow. These were not problems in 1963. That
1: is Forget true. about your hotel
0: key cards. Your credit cards, <laughs> maybe? Those would be shot. So what we're saying is this is actually a good idea and more people should use it in stories. Absolutely. Checks out.
1: Wreak havoc on all the hotels in New York City.
0: (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I think this is a great idea and more people should be very faithfully adapting comic books from the 1960s, which are absolute nonsense.
1: Uh, I do agree with that. Marco, what is your favorite ridiculous or specific movie weapon?
2: Yes, so as soon as we had suggested this, um, I had already thought of this after watching the movie itself. When I was in high school, like a wee baby 15-year-old, I was really, really into Supernatural. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watched that.
0: I have not, but were you happy to stay into supernatural for the next like 12 years no uh, well, uh, way
1: I, to undershoot it by about four seasons I i'm pretty sure show is
0: still <laughs> happening i know no, no for... they ended oh they did they ended
1: okay. but i think it was like season 16 i made it through like season nine
0: I, yeah i made it to like eight and then supernatural ran for 15 seasons it ended in november 2020 wow
1: Marco, I am curious, why did you stick with Supernatural? Because you don't have the excuse of enjoying when they take their shirts off, like I do.
2: <laughs> that is fair. Um, honestly, it was a really great workout show. Because you yeah. felt like they were like punching monsters. and So you were taking your shirt off with them in exactly. It Exactly. It was like a shared moment between me and the two Winchesters, all of us equally as beautiful as one another. Just just bros and Bros. Right, exactly. They were they were punching monsters. I was lifting weights. You know, it was it was a great time for all three of us. But my favorite hyper specific weapon is um in that show there were angels and the angels could only be killed by a knife that it was created and wielded by the other angels. And it was, like, the shittiest silver prop-looking, like, spear tip thing ever. And it was so focused because it could only kill the angels. But at one point, one of the demons decided to... He got one of these swords, and he melted it down into a gun that, like the... I love this. Like the wood-tipped bullets, it basically shot tiny angel-killing knives that could only kill angels and... That is my favorite hyper-specific, useless-in-any-other-case weapon.
0: So wait, what happens if, like, a human gets shot with the angel-killing knife?
2: It's just, like, a regular bullet, but if an angel gets shot, they, like, explode into a puff of light. Cool. Yeah.
0: I also did not know Supernatural was an Angels and Demons show. I assumed it was, like, NBC's Grimm, where it was all gonna be, like, evil fairy tale creatures, like, like, dark once upon a time.
1: It started as more just, like, traditional monsters of the week. But demons came in pretty early. It wasn't until about season, I want to say like six, that the first angel was introduced. And then it started getting crazier from there. But they also had like other gods...
2: Yeah there was a there was an episode where like Loki was just kind of a a B character and he was just I think he was like messing with a motel and they had to stop no, this but that turned out to actually be the archangel Gabriel. That's right cuz he was <laughs> running away from his god granted <laughs> responsibilities and and playing as another god. Thank you Mark. Okay. <laughs> Do these
0: angels look like blobs covered in eyes? (laughs) They
2: have to possess a human in order to exist on Earth as a not blob covered with eyes and wings and lion's heads.
1: But for the angels, they have to have consent, whereas the demons do not.
2: The demons just pop on in. Okay.
1: And also the angels, because they don't want to change casting, seem to just completely take over the bodies forever, because (laughs) every time they show up, they're in the same body.
2: Yeah, there was was one angel who became, like, a series regular, like, you know, one of the main characters, and he was there for, like, five seasons, and... Every now and then, I was like, "What is his human supposed to be doing that he is not able to and will not be able to?" Didn't for some his time? human
1: like actively die inside of him or something?
2: Oh my god! Yeah, so he was like piloting around this empty corpse that would just collapse if he ever left, but there was still enough alive in him. I think. To... He, yeah, he was like
1: brain dead or something. Is he in
2: a coma? Or something? Yeah. Something yeah. Like
1: that. What a weird show.
2: This was Mark and Marco's nightly supernatural lore. Uh, <laughs> this is
0: fascinating. Oh, yeah. it's.
1: I would say the first seasons are very entertaining, and it was a great show to build Ikea furniture to.
0: Or work
2: out. To. <laughs>
1: which is a very specific moment that you probably don't come across that often, but I did have a lot of Ikea furniture to build on my own one time, and Supernatural helped
0: me through it. See, I just have podcasts for that. The, like, one week period where I was just building tons of Ikea furniture when I moved into my first apartment, I feel like I just listened to a ton of, you must remember this.
1: Well, you know what you must not remember? This movie, because boy, does it slip from (laughs) your brain as soon as as possible. What a second.
0: (laughs) Let me tell you, we had to reschedule this recording, so it's been, like, a week since I watched this movie, and I remember very little.
1: Yeah, but did you look at the Wikipedia summary? Because it is bizarrely detailed.
0: I I saw Spider-Man. It's two and a
2: half hours. No, Uh, someone, someone on Wikipedia really cares about this movie. Yeah,
1: it goes into way too much detail for a plot summary on Wikipedia, and I love it. But anyway, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm
0: gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense?
1: And where the heck did this movie go, and why can't I stream it? And also, are these people actually dateable or even likable?
0: It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot, or a one-scene flirtation, or if it seems like it's gonna be a major plot, and then it feels like the movie forgets about it, and then suddenly the movie is like, no, no, this is a real thing. Uh, We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we're joined by our friend Marco to talk, at long last, about the 2011 vampires, werewolves, detective action movie, Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Hello,
2: I'm Marco, a video game enthusiast and amateur podcaster, review for two, look it up, and I loved this movie. This was
0: amazing. So we have tried to do this movie on the podcast for years. Mark mentioned it on one of our first episodes. I was like, oh, we should do this weird movie. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then in spring of 2021, we were like, the time has come. We're doing Dylan Dog. We put it on the schedule. We had a guest. We scheduled a recording. It was like days before we were supposed to do it when I discovered the movie is not available to rent or stream anywhere. And so it was an emergency. We had to do Dracula 2000 to fill in the gap. And then like four months after that, Marco emailed me and said, hello, I have found Dylan Dog dead of night. So we finally got to watch the movie and Marco, obviously we had to have you on because you are the person who found this gem for us. I am delighted to be here.
1: Now, I have to say, this movie holds a very special place in my heart because it is the first movie I went to a theater to actively laugh at because of how bad it was. In high school in 2011, so it would have been my like junior year of high school when this came out, there were about 10 of us, and we took up the entire back row of the movie theater in Singapore.
0: A country famously friendly to rowdy people. Yes.
1: <laughs> and by... Like minute five, everyone else in the theater had kind of given up on it too, unsurprisingly. <laughs> and we had the time of our life when Hey Diggs says, I'm king of the world. Ah. We said that to each other, like, (laughs) daily for the rest of high school. It was very important, and so I was really worried going in that it just, like, wouldn't be as funny as an adult or would be less ridiculous than I remembered, and then I was delightfully surprised that it held up in a very
0: good way. No, this movie's pretty weird in some fun ways. It Makes a lot of choices. Yeah. Like, some of them I think work. I think that Belial, like, the big demon at the end, I think it looks cool. I think Peter Stormare is giving us, like, a real, like, hefty meat sandwich of a performance. Oh, yeah. like, there's, there's a lot of ham between that bread, and I really dug what was thrown down. Do I think that uh, Anita Bream, the, like, female lead, was giving us much? No, I do not. She but gave
2: nothing. No.
0: There is some fun stuff in this movie.
2: The female lead... Okay, I just want to say this because I was I was trying to take notes and I was trying to, like, write down names and plot points. And throughout my first watch of the movie, I, for the life of me, could not remember the female lead's name. So nope. on my second watch through, I actually timed it. Her name is... You watched this twice? Yes, I did. Because I, I am an overachiever, Will. Um, what?
0: I, um, I, I Marco, timed it. I want to be clear. No one has ever done that.
1: <laughs> Will has read an entire book to prepare that is not short, but no one has ever watched the movie twice. And we've had Rachel on this show.
0: Oh boy. This is episode 217.
2: <laughs> I think I deserve a medal for that then.
0: All right. Yeah, go, you do. So this is, this is a double congrats to Marco. You found the movie. You watched it twice for some
2: reason. <laughs> <laughs> um... The female lead character's name is not spoken until over an hour into the movie. What? It is not set. If I, okay, you know What's what?
0: What's crazy is I believe you.
2: I one hundred percent believe it is. You. It is not spoken, and even then, it is only in a Dylan Dog classic voiceover describing his current emotional state. That is I the love first the
1: voiceover so
0: much. That,
2: oof. Um, yeah, so so the, the main female character is so little of a concern to the writers that I feel like they didn't bother naming her until two-thirds of the way through the script when they remembered that people need to have names. That is 100% what happened. She is a
0: charisma vacuum. Yeah.
1: Oh my Absolutely. god. Imagine if they had cast someone who tried, though. I feel like it would be... It would either make the movie worse in some ways, where... I kind of enjoy the charisma vacuum because it just stands out in contrast to every other incredibly hammy performance. Mm-hmm. Just to have a one dead fish flopping around in the middle.
0: Well, I think, like, to compare this to another terrible noir movie that we should cover on this podcast, you compare Anita Bream in Dylan Dog to Anne Hathaway in Serenity. And that character also... Starts the plot rolling, but doesn't make a lick of sense. But Anna Hathaway is just oozing charisma in a way where you're like, oh, watch this lady do anything.
1: Yes, but Matthew McConaughey is the flopping fish in that one.
0: I, I don't know about that. I mean,
1: he's, <laughs> I, I guess,
0: he's... He's pretty good at it.
1: Uh, I don't know about good.
0: Mark, I want you to realize, and I think you do, I am one watch of serenity away from declaring it a good movie
1: i know and that's why we can never cover it on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i think we have to Uh,
0: marco have you seen serenity 2019 i have not
1: oh what my Uh, god i'm pretty sure
0: it's still on prime video let me tell you read nothing about it okay write this down right now serenity 2019 Guy. All right. You must watch this movie.
1: You must go in knowing nothing besides Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey are in it, because if you don't know that, you might watch another movie. One of the other, like, five movies called Serenity.
2: I accidentally end up watching
0: the Firefly movie. <laughs> watch this movie and then text us. I All right, I will.
1: <laughs> I... Oh my god. So I wrote down a line that I think sums up everything that is just, like, absurd about this movie where they're, like, doing the investigation, and he just says, well, you know what they say about werewolf hair? It doesn't lie. And I
0: was just... (laughs) Who says that? (laughs) What? Who says that? I mean... Who says that? I think that... I think that this movie periodically tries to do, like, the Star Wars thing, of fainting towards a larger universe and a deeper history. And at times, I, I think it works, where you just have this real sense that these characters have a a history together that feels real to me and that there are all of these mysteries. I think part of the problem with it is you're never quite sure, like, how many different types of, like, magical creature exist and what their relationships are to each other. And, like, the genres of them don't always mesh. Like, the zombie stuff is just a straight, like, goofball comedy. Like, the body shop and the support group and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas... The werewolves have, like, clans and, like, dynasties, and you're like, okay, this feels like an entirely different thing. And, like, the werewolves and the vampires go together, but nobody goes with the zombies. And so the result is that, like, this sense of history, sometimes it works, and sometimes it feels like they were throwing spaghetti at the wall.
2: This movie feels like it was desperately trying to be, like, the next Game of Thrones or the next Witcher, Where, like, they wanted to spin this pre-existing universe and, like, get you invested in it so that they could franchise and sequel and TV show. So
0: I think what this feels exactly like is a cable drama from the period when this was made. Like, if you told me that this was a pilot movie for a, like, TNT series where it's, like, a detective procedural in supernatural New Orleans... Where, like, you watch (laughs) this movie to set up the world, and then, like, every week...
2: Yeah, this movie wanted to be supernatural again.
0: Like, every week, Dylan Dog and his zombie bud are gonna have to, like, investigate what's going on with the vampires or the werewolves or the zombies, and, like, at some point, you got, like, harpies and selkies and, like, whoever in there. Like, that's what this feels like. In the good stuff and the bad stuff. The heavy use of voiceover kind of feels like a pilot move that trails off and maybe just kicks off every episode by season two, like probably Anita <laughs> gets written off <laughs> I think like Brandon Routh in this movie is kind of just a generic, inscrutable protagonist, but you feel like over the course of two or three seasons, he could gain some depth, become more interesting. like this feels like a TV show from the Age of Dexter, yeah,
1: yes. Speaking of throwing spaghetti at the wall, though, something I found out today, the original comic was Italian.
0: Yes. Okay. So I was about to ask this. Were either of you aware of Dylan Dog as a character? Because I was not. Not I only
1: knew I only knew of it because of the movie. Sure. Not even a little.
0: So Dylan Dog was created in 1983 by an Italian comic book writer and artist named Tiziano Sclavi. That's where that name came from. Tiziano Sclavi. You got to do some Jared Leto on it. And this is like a major character in European comics. It's the second highest selling Italian comic book ever. Really? Yeah. Like Dylan Dogg in his own book has run continuously since 1986. Sclavi has written it off and on. He last wrote it in 2017. So like five years ago. So like this is a major figure in European comics. There is this quote from Umberto Eco where he said, I can read the Bible Homer or Dylan dog for several days without being bored.
1: I really want to read this comic now.
0: (laughs) Is it, do they have it in English? There have been English prints, English reprints from dark horse every once in a while. They're not the easiest thing in the world to track down, but you could probably find them like on eBay or something. The weirdest thing about the Dylan dog comics is that his sidekick does not look like Sam Huntington. Instead, his sidekick is named Groucho and looks like Groucho Marx. I love that.
1: <laughs> Why?
0: <laughs> That's
1: so weird.
0: Um, It's pretty weird. I am kind of interested. In 2019, James Wan optioned the rights for a TV series.
2: So it could turn into the 2000s detective monster TV series We All Dream It Will.
0: Which I'm not that interested in, but I am interested in James Wan's Dylan Dog. Like, I want the dude who made malignant making Dylan talk.
1: I am now on the Wikipedia page, and I just noticed that apparently it has anti-bourgeois sentiment, and that makes me even more interested.
0: Welcome to Italian comics.
1: I guess that is fair.
0: So... Stone Dog Dededeite, Mark, you were one of the not many people who saw <laughs> this movie in theaters. <laughs>
1: the 10 of us that saw this movie contributed probably very heavily to the box office.
0: Uh, not small portion of the movie's box office. It opened on April 29th, 2011, the same weekend as Fast Five.
1: Oh, no. They were doomed from the
0: beginning. You know, the movie that added The Rock and supercharged the franchise. Yeah, so how did it do then, Will? Well, uh, it opened on eight hundred and seventy-five screens, which is kind of a weird number because that's not like a wide release, but it's not a limited release either. It's like kind of in between. It opened in seventeenth place, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that weekend, Fast Five made thirty-four million dollars, and Dylan Dog: Dead of Night made two hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars.
2: Oh, that's such a small number. What was its budget? Do you know?
0: Um, according to Wikipedia, it had a twenty million dollar budget, which is insane. <laughs> I know. And you look at this movie and you're like, where did that money go? Yeah, because
1: the zombies and the vampires look straight out of season one Buffy.
0: Again, I think Belial looks cool, but you gotta wonder, where was this money going? And it's not like, there's no studio backing this. This is like weird, tiny, independent financers. Like Hyde Park Entertainment is the biggest financer of this. There's also
1: no real celebrities in it.
0: Right, it's like Brandon Routh, five years after Superman Returns. I mean, Tay Diggs, he's kind of... Tay
1: Diggs is probably the biggest. Yeah.
2: Uh,
0: He gets the and.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Peter Stormare is very well known, but I feel like he's in so many things. Peter Stormare
0: is not bringing anybody
2: into the box office. And he probably didn't cost a lot. Like, they told him he gets to be a vampire, and he's like, yes, absolutely,
0: another character. And he's like, I get to ham it up. You said it's three days of shooting? All right, I'll be there. In New Orleans? You know it.
1: So, I just remembered the reason we decided to see it, even though it was, like, opened so poorly, is it's the first movie where I looked at Rotten Tomatoes, because this is pretty early in Rotten Tomatoes, where it was a 7%. And my friends and I were just (laughs) like,
0: well, we gotta.
2: At that point, you gotta just to see.
0: Actually, in Singapore, you would have been part of its bigger performance, because... Dylan Dog only made 1.1 million here in North Yikes. America, but overseas it made 4.9, which makes sense because the character is much better known in Europe. Yeah. yeah,
2: it didn't even make a third of its budget back. Yikes! No, this was a
0: disaster. Poor Dylan. Uh, iconic. Um, the crew behind it is kind of wacky too. So the director is Kevin Monroe, who got his start as an animator. He was an artist on Hey Arnold and The Ant Bully, and his first, the first movie he directed was TMNT, that like 3D Ninja Turtles movie that they made before the Michael Bay movies.
1: Oh, like, yeah, I just remembered what that was.
0: Yeah, and then since this, he made the Ratchet and Clank movie, which I had forgotten existed. Oh, yeah. I
1: only remember it existed because that's what led to the redo of the first game for the PS4, which I have played. Oh, right. Also, I just looked at the international box office and... It made three times as much money in Italy as it did in the US. And I've never seen a box office look like that before.
0: That is pretty weird.
1: Yeah. Singapore, number two in Asia with $300,000. More than there the There you go. That was US. You, Which is, I, let me, you know, probably would have been like $15 per at the time. So 150, so 0.5%. You <laughs> were
0: was was just being my that. friends. <laughs> a significant amount
1: wow this movie Uh, the
0: movie is written by thomas dean donnelly and joshua oppenheimer who are a writing team that's written a bunch of movies that i did not know existed they wrote an adaptation of ray bradbury's a sound of thunder in 2005 and a 2011 conan the barbarian movie starring jason momoa
1: that exists
0: Apparently. I would love to watch that, honestly. And that would be the same year as this, which is also season one of Game of Thrones. Oh. Like Jason Momoa when nobody knows who he is.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. That's either going to be the most boring movie you've ever seen or just chaos wall-to-wall.
0: Yeah. Uh did okay. I mean, it lost money, but it made $63 million, which is more than I would have guessed.
1: A $90 million budget, and i never even heard of it?
0: That is crazy. What did they spend this money on? It was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Makeup. I guess they spent it all on makeup. That's,
1: like, worse than not receiving any
2: nominations. Receiving a sad throwaway
0: award? The Saturns have so many categories, like, you should be able to fit in somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like... Teen Choice Award level too many categories, but it's sad. Honestly, if Dylan Dog were, like, 30% better, it could have gotten nominated for some Teen Choice Awards. Like, I don't know, choice, choice zombie movie.
1: Brandon Routh, I feel, isn't attractive enough for, like, a teen-specific audience.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's kind of his problem. Like, he needs to be a little bit hotter. He needs to be a little more charismatic. Like I said, I think that given, like, three seasons in this character on a TV show people into the lore would convince themselves that he's more interesting than he is. But in a 100-minute movie, there's not enough.
1: But Will, he has a dead fiancé, so he's inherently interesting. (laughs) He didn't do much, though. He had
2: one emotion, and that emotion was gruff. Like, he did it great.
1: No, he also had pensive about his past.
2: That is fair. He switched between gruff and pensive, I will grant you that.
0: You know, people give Nolan a hard time about, like, the dead wife thing, but the thing that his dead wives have that, like, this movie does not is his dead wives are all, like, incredibly talented and also strikingly beautiful actresses, where it's, like, Scarlett Johansson, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Marion Cotillard, like, you're all like, yeah, I get it, you're still obsessed.
1: Well, (laughs) yes. I will say the other difference is also Nolan's wives are characters at some point, whereas in this, the only thing we see of Cassandra is her corpse on the floor of the Vampire Nightclub.
0: Wait, Cassandra oh, is not will, Cass- Anita Cassandra.
2: Brima? Cassandra is a different- Is
0: she his fiancée? Then
2: what's the blonde woman's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Who, didn't, who was not named until an hour and ten minutes
0: into oh, the film. Oh, right.
2: She dies. She does. I forgot about that to the spoiler moment, to be honest
0: everyone I watched this movie we probably just need to talk about the romance yes. this movie because it is just getting further and further away from my memory the I further I, I get I watched from this
1: watching movie it. 2 hours ago and I forgot that she
2: died at the end that is why <laughs> I it took it doesn't notes. matter it truly does not matter nobody cares like when when you're you know you start every one of these episodes with one scene flirtation like that's Kind of this movie
0: it, The thing is like it's basically a one scene flirtation But the movie wants us to believe it's Jack and Rose on the Titanic
2: Right uh, Like star-crossed so lovers who may never be
1: So every week we break down the romantic plot line into five points to help guide conversation So as our guest, Marco will you take us to point one?
2: I would absolutely love to So point one I have titled The Meet Cute I'm not really sure how we do this I've, I've never met a private investigator.
0: <laughs> well, uh, why don't you just tell us why we're here?
2: My father...
0: Well, let me guess. Skip that
2: on the family. He was murdered. He would never do that, so... So you're looking at the family condolences so in this point at the very beginning of the movie elizabeth's dad is murdered by what can only be described as new orleans bigfoot cool yes because the police do not believe her that new orleans bigfoot killed her father she calls dylan because a priest gave her dylan's business card and dylan turns her down because he doesn't take those kinds of cases anymore
1: what is this priest doing in the undead world
0: okay so we start with dylan dog who is you know a An old (laughs) gumshoe noir detective. In the year of our Lord,
2: 2011, he is like a a 50s film noir detective. And the opening
0: narration almost implies that he's dead, but really it just means that he has stopped doing these undead cases. You know, he used to be the go-between between between the undead world and the human world, but ever since his wife, his fiancée was killed, he's like, no more! And he also insists on using... Film in his camera so his buddy sam huntington has to be like there's a revolution going on and it's called digital
1: <laughs> uh that the digital camera in 2011
0: <laughs> i so i thought i almost at that point we're all shifting to our iPhones.
1: i almost closed my computer to take a breath i did write down um my first audible sigh was at nine minutes and 38
2: seconds amazing <laughs> No, I thought because he is so like enamored with old technology, like his car, his camera, all of his detective equipment, both for people and monsters. I thought he was an undead who was like, you know, a hundred years old and having trouble getting with the times. But no, he's just a, a dude.
0: He needs more old technology. He needs like a Victrola that he like cranks to play music to like drown out his confidential conversations in case anyone's spying on them. He should be like getting to his investigations on a penny farthing bicycle. Like, I want him to go all the way. Right. Commit, you know?
1: Another thing that everyone obviously knows undead investigation is old school. And I just absolutely love the assumption that we know these things.
0: Again, in the right hands, that feels like the most Isley Cantina. It feels like there's a whole world beyond this. Right. In this movie, it feels like a clumsy pilot.
1: Ugh.
2: I.
0: So, anyway, some priest gives. (laughs) Some priest gives
2: Dylan's business card to Elizabeth. Well, so you meet the priest later in the film, I think. Because at the at the zombie support group, one of the zombies is a priest. And he's there in, like, the, the priest outfit. So I think that was, like, you know, the subtle reference towards, like, that's how this all started. I paid way too much attention, you guys. I am so sorry. Because you watched it (laughs) twice, I know, you're going to know- We did not tell you to do that. I know more about this movie than I ever want to, and I'm going to be cursed with this knowledge and unable to forget.
1: You say that, but you will forget everything by tomorrow.
0: God, I hope so.
1: This movie has no sticking power in your brain.
0: This movie is the spell from the Spider-Man movie I just watched.
1: It genuinely- The only thing I can remember from this movie, the only moment in my brain before I rewatched it was Tay Diggs in the nightclub on the couch with, for some reason, two women next to him, but not on either side. It goes him and then woman and then woman, which is weird.
2: He's got his favorite and he's got his backup. (laughs) And then he just goes,
1: I'm king of the world. Ah, and that's the only thing I remember from this movie. Also, I love the human race is obsolete, y'all.
2: Who do we think Tay Diggs owed money that he was forced to accept this
0: role? Well, no, no. I don't think he owed anybody money. I think this was an easy paycheck to have some fun. But I'm just thinking about, like, you're playing a, the human race's obsolete character the same year that Fassbender plays Magneto for the first time. Yeah, And just the comparison of those performances and those movies does not look good. This movie had a lot of things going against it in terms of
2: what else was coming out at the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, Dylan goes to check out this case because he's just like, I got a case. And it's in a, a wealthy neighborhood, which means I can start charging more money and making more money. But when he gets there and he finds out that it's a supernatural case, he's like, no, I don't do that anymore. Oh, my
1: God. He then just like turns it down and leaves.
0: He also, he
2: like, his friend is trying to follow him, trying to convince him to take this case because they need money. And he just drives away and leaves his friend there. Like, Dylan's a jerk. He's really
0: mean to Sam Huntington. Yeah. Uh, Marcus. He is. wants to be accepted as Dylan's partner. And Dylan's like, I can't have a partner. And Marcus is like, I basically am.
1: There's no reason for him to not have a partner.
0: It's just because the last time I had someone close. She got sacrificed in an elaborate vampire ritual. But like,
2: as we will learn, the the formal title difference is not enough to keep Marcus out of harm's way.
1: I was shocked when, I guess this is in your point too, but I was shocked when he died because I remember him being in the whole movie. But I assumed well, that you I, were just, right. I, had assumed I just forgot the movie because I had. But then I also felt vindicated when he showed up
0: again. All right, Mark. And Marco, you can play this too if you want to. Mark, f- Mary Kill. Marcus the zombie. Specifically when he is a zombie. Marcus from Superstore. Or Marcus Brody from Indiana Jones.
1: Which one is Brody in Indiana Jones?
0: He's the university friend in the first one.
1: Oh, okay. Mary. Uh, f- Marcus from Superstore. Because
2: I feel like it would be good. And kill the zombie
0: that's the objectively correct answer
2: i'm gonna have to say the same because i don't i don't want to f a zombie i don't want to do that i mean he'd be cold right yeah and it, it, like slimy because he's leaking guts oh. and other fluids <laughs> i i did not need slimy <laughs> I, look will will you brought up the question of whether or not we f a a zombie so you get to deal with the consequences i guess so that one's on me Alright, so I think we're at point number two. <laughs> yes. Point number two is titled Dylan Dog. Is... Can we
0: do can we do a like awkward screen wipe to get to point number two? Because that's the mode that this movie uses. <laughs> the beautiful screen transitions.
1: I have a controversial opinion. Is this movie good? <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> Under no circumstances is this movie good. I, it has some interesting moments and some really boring ones.
2: The, the middle kind of drags yeah. on when it's like, it's just ten different, like, vignettes of introducing a different aspect of the supernatural world. And, you know, to Will's point, like, it does seem like this is all leading to, like... Lore building for the broader Dylan Dog cinematic universe
0: that sadly will never come to be. The zombie stuff really does not work for me. Yeah. It feels like it belongs in an entirely different movie. Yeah. And doesn't really go anywhere either.
2: Marcus got entirely different direction than <laughs> anyone else in this. He was told this was a comedy and no one else was was filled in on this fact.
1: I don't know. I think Gabriel the werewolf was <laughs> fully acting in a comedy.
0: Yeah, Peter Stormare is great. But like he should be the only person doing that because he's taking it 100% seriously, just doing something ridiculous, whereas Sam Huntington is playing like he's in a comedy. Right? Yeah.
1: I think it's also the middle part is where I started cooking dinner during the movie because I knew that the, like, the woman was so uninvolved, I did not have to pay attention to any romance. So maybe that helped because I was distracted from the worst
2: parts. Fair. Anyway, screen wipe, point number two. Screen wipe. Point number two, Dylan Dog is on the case. What you said I was crazy. What made you change your mind?
0: My friend was murdered last night.
2: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Who would do that?
0: Not a who, a what. Whoever killed Marcus wasn't human. Someone was watching your house, someone wanted to scare me off your case.
2: So you're taking the case? Maybe. In which Dylan's friend is murdered by an undead creature. Um, he's fine. Don't worry about it. You'll see him later in the movie. The murder of his friend forces Dylan to come out of retirement. Um, so he goes and back. And he's killed in Dylan's office. He is. Which I find hilarious because an hour later, Dylan is like, I need to make sure you're somewhere safe, Elizabeth. Wait in my office. As though Marcus was not horrifically murdered there at the beginning of the film. See, that's the thing you pick up on the rewatch. It is. It is. Oh, there are a lot of things I picked up on the rewatch, man.
1: (laughs) And that is also not a good thing because it's... (laughs) the things you're picking up on the rewatch are not like, ooh, little additions from the writers for you to discover it is plot holes that they just ignored.
0: It's not even plot holes. It's more like characters being stupid in ways that you were not paying enough attention to notice the first time. Right, which makes me think
2: the writers were not paying enough attention to notice these things. Like, there was no one who just read through the script to point out continuity errors or anything like that. Yeah,
1: I just have one word for you. Cocaine.
0: <laughs> they had $20 million. They could have built another set and be like, this is my safe house. Or just any random, like, you know... A
2: random, like, apartment, a random even, like, broken-down warehouse. Anything could have been Dylan's shitty old-timey safe house. And instead, they are yes. like, stay in this apartment where someone else got murdered two days ago.
1: But you're forgetting how much money they needed for the cocaine.
2: Cocaine does not buy itself. Just, like,
0: this movie cost more than The Green Knight. Amazing. <laughs>
1: uh, and that's just $20 million in 2011.
0: Yeah. The Green Knight costs 15 now. Where did it all go? You got a lot fewer actors, but come on.
1: All right. So yes, Marcus is dead. He takes the case.
2: Yes. And this uh, forces Dylan and our still-to-be-named female protagonist to spend more time together, which, as we all know, in classic adventure movies like this will foster romance by the end of the movie.
0: But it's only, like, mildly flirty. Honestly, it's kind of... It's like noiry flirty in the way where, like in a noir, you expect it not really to be consummated. You're just kind of like, oh, it's like some pitter-patter, a dame has come into the door, but not much is going to happen with it because he's too lonesome.
2: Right, like she's kind of cheeky. She like, you know, makes gentle fun at his old-timey leather detective's case. But it's not like overt flirting, it's just like sassy kind of, you know, a subtle jest that is very typical of the film Noir Detective, where, like, people are just making subtle little cool jabs at each other the whole time. It's, like, not really flirty at all.
0: Yeah, which is what makes the stuff that comes later ridiculous. Yes. But, Marco, I am seeing, looking at the script, that you have made a controversial choice.
2: I Yes, so if there is one thing that I have learned listening to this podcast, it's that uh, the guests go rogue all the time and you two are powerless to stop us. So I mean, you are not wrong. Carrying on in that noble tradition, I have made a point two point five. I this think I
1: will say this is our first two point five, and also I don't like the implication that I try and rein in this behavior at all because <laughs> I'm a hundred percent on board every time.
0: <laughs> I will say this kind of information from Fiona would be a point zero because it all happens before the movie. So this it's
2: like I made it two point five because it's interspersed throughout the movie. They you know. They set it up at the beginning, but they kind of like, you know, layer it through with subtle
0: references and then more overt ones. You keep learning more and more until you see like the Sherlock Holmes. Wait, is Sherlock Holmes also this year or is it 2010? It's 2010. Uh, Like the Sherlock Holmes style ritual sacrifice. Exactly. Mark, have you seen Sherlock Holmes?
1: The Robert Downey Jr. one? Yeah. Yeah, I was really into it. And then,
0: yeah, we should watch that movie.
1: I forgot about it.
2: I like that movie. It was weird steampunk nonsense.
0: Yeah, then they play a game of shadows.
2: Yeah, and
1: then World War One starts like 20 years early or something.
2: You know, like you do. Anyway. So, yes. Mark Strong ran a cult. <laughs> uh, point 2.5 I have titled Cassandra. Not technically a point of the actual romance between Dylan and our nameless lady protagonist, but throughout the movie we learn more and more gradually about Cassandra, Dylan's past romantic partner who uh, was killed by supernatural creatures Or was she? Because at some point, Tay Diggs says something that makes me think that she's just a vampire and, like, elsewhere.
0: No, she was killed. But
2: She She was definitely sacrificed. Okay, because he he was like, it's such a shame that she's, and then, like, winked at him. I don't know. It it definitely felt like in season four of the imaginary TV show This Will Become, she's going to, like, come back as a vampire. You know, she kind of reminds me of, um, Cassandra. Right? Yeah, I knew you were thinking it. Ugh, she was a fighter. Yeah. And you know what? It made her blood taste just a little bit sweeter.
0: Okay. Oh, Both that of these would entirely happen. Yes. Right? The movie asserts that she was killed in some kind of sacrifice to bring more power to the vampires. Right. However, in the TV show, she would be brought back as a vampire. Exactly.
1: She would be like leading the vampires by season four.
2: I also, I just love that she was killed inside the Corpus house because the vampires are not creative to name their house anything other
0: than dead people house.
1: That is a very expensive looking nightclub.
0: What I like about vampire infrastructure, one is that vampire blood is sold as a drug that keeps you awake and gives you strength. Yes. And two, apparently in the cemeteries of New Orleans, the vampires keep a bunch of Empty mausoleums so that they can throw a person in there for a couple decades whenever they want. There appear to be several of them ready to go.
2: Think just in case you need one, man. You always gotta have a few mausoleums on hand.
0: Uh, but anyway, I think this calls for a screen wipe to point number three.
2: Alright, so point number three I entitled, Wait, where did this romance come from? Because
0: that is... Absolutely nowhere is ...what I
2: said out loud.
0: Crossing the line? Yeah, perhaps. But I'm not exactly billing her for it. I knew Elizabeth was still in danger. Being caught up in a world where you don't belong isn't natural. I was well aware of that at one time. And so was Cassandra.
2: So Dylan is off doing detective things. He leaves Elizabeth, still not named. He leaves Elizabeth in the safest location he knows. His apartment, where only one murder has happened to date. Oh no, we don't know only one murder has happened to date there. We just know a murder has happened there this week. That's fair. Where at least one murder has happened there this week. So clearly the safest place Dylan knows. He comes back from his gritty film noir detectiveing to find Elizabeth wearing no pants and looking at pictures of Cassandra. Um, a weird thing to do. A weird, like, wearing no pants in someone else's office is a weird thing to do. But then doing that while looking at pictures of their dead fiancé is just a whole nother level of strange. There's a lot of layers happening there. So for some reason, this this is the impetus that causes Dylan to explain who Cassandra is and how she died. And upon hearing this, Elizabeth tries to kiss Dylan. It is so weird. It came from nowhere. And Dylan is, for some reason, also into it. He doesn't, like, push her away because he's like, no, dude, chill. He's like, oh, I can't out of memory of my dead fiancé. But he
0: wants it too. They had just been talking about his fiancé's gruesome murder with zero passion, zero tension between the two of them. It was just, like, exposition delivery with no, like, sexual chemistry at all. And then suddenly she just starts kissing him and he's like, heck yes, I'm kissing a lady. Right.
2: Like the last thing he said was, oh, and that's when I killed a whole bunch of people because I, I had some murder lust after my fiance died. And she's like, awesome. Take off the pants. We're doing this now. But they did. Nothing gets me hort like murdering some vampires. (laughs) But they didn't, except for a brief interlude scene. It's, I, I don't even remember what the intermediary scene was, but like, it's essentially all one long scene Dylan goes comes back elizabeth finally gets a name and then and then they like start talking about the case and once again out of nowhere they just start kissing and have sex there's no chemistry there's no romantic attraction there is just step 1 pants off step 2 try and kiss step 3 actually kiss
0: step 4 yeah
1: yeah that's how romance <laughs> works is, right
0: i get i it is oof so like, mathematical. It's like, one straight man plus one straight woman plus one conversation equals sex? Right, you can tell that, like, some executive
2: was looking over the scriptwriter's shoulder and was like, Oh, yeah, you gotta add a sex scene in there. The kids want to They romance. should bang. They should bang. Oh, they're in a room alone together? Take off her pants.
0: Yeah, there we go. It would almost be like, it would work better if it were more salacious. Right.
2: Like, it has to come from somewhere, and in this case, it did not. Neither party showed any interest until a kiss was about to happen, in which case they were
0: both like, yeah, sign me up. This movie is just, like, anti-horny is part of the problem. When, in fact, it should be super horny, because, like, they should be, like, ready to jump each other's bones constantly, but he's conflicted because of his dead fiancé, and he hasn't been with anyone since then. Vampires, inherently sexy, and they should be sexier. Like, Tay Diggs is in it, so that's given them some work. But, like, I think, like, there should be stuff going on with the werewolves. I'm just saying... Everyone in this movie should be horny. Like the zombie support group should be discussing like how you date when you're dead. This movie would be better.
1: There's like a whole Romeo and Juliet story between a werewolf and a zombie that, or a werewolf boring, and a vampire dumb, dumb. that's just like over before the movie starts and that we're supposed to care. And that's this movie's approach to romance completely. By the time yes. you know
2: that this relationship exists, both of the parties are dead.
0: Yeah, it's bad. Okay, so so they're now banging for no reason. Screen wipe, point number 4. All right,
2: point number 4. Some some stuff happens. Dylan proves himself to be quite honestly the worst detective I have ever seen for a number of reasons that could take up this entire podcast.
0: Yeah, his business model is clearly just he was around when the undead creatures decided they needed a human go-between. And they were like, yeah, I I guess you. And so then he was the one guy who could do stuff for them. Like, the movie tells us he is not making a good living on human investigations.
2: Right. But Dylan is not particularly smart. He's not particularly clever or charming. I don't know why the undead chose him, except for that he was just the nearest human who did
0: not immediately, like, try and kill them. Maybe Cassandra was really charismatic and she was like, check out my fiance. He's cool. And they're like, I I guess. Like, will you come to our parties if we let him do that?
1: (laughs) At one point, he says, like, the secret to good detecting is to get lucky. And I think that just sums up his problem in a nutshell, because that should not be. That's like Dirk Gently. Yeah. That should not be your way of being a detective.
2: If it is, you're a bad detective until you get lucky, which I guess he did a lot when he was doing paranormal cases? That's the- I- I don't know. So, point four. After some truly terrible detecting, Dylan gets captured by Tay Diggs, and it is through- through a series of events we encounter the inevitable Hallmark movie Betrayal where we learn that Elizabeth is in fact a monster hunter rather than just the startled victim she was pretending to be. She has been lying this whole time and orchestrating a significant portion of this, including killing Marcus? That was her doing, I learned on the second watch through. You of all people should understand what I'm doing. You should understand why.
0: Oh, I understand why. But this revenge or whatever it is, is not the answer.
2: This has nothing to do with my father being murdered. This is
1: much bigger than that. We're the good guys.
0: By slaughtering millions of innocent undead? No. That's where you're wrong, Elizabeth.
2: We're the good guys. And you're the monster. And so the whole romantic attraction on her side was a ploy to make sure Dylan did not suspect her of any actual involvement. I think... This is too complicated. It's too complicated.
1: One thing I did like that the movie did is they put Marcus in the tomb with him, and he points out, like, if there's one thing zombies are good at, it's getting out of tombs. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, wait. That's where,
0: like... That's stupid. Like, sometimes it's cool that Dylan doesn't need stuff explained that they can just, like, hint at a wider universe. But when Dylan and Marcus are, like, thrown in this pit, and Dylan's just like, zombies can dig really well. It's like, oh, well, then, like... He never felt any threat here. This is just a delaying tactic for the movie. Like, there were no stakes to this.
2: But also, why were the vampires dumb enough to give him a zombie in this
0: crypt? Right. That's what makes it stupid. Like, it doesn't feel like that's part of the world. It just feels like the movie literally wrote itself into a hole and was like, (laughs) it's not worth
2: figuring out how to get out of here.
0: Like, we're just going to move on.
2: We'll just make zombies good at digging and the problem will resolve itself.
1: They are good at getting out of tombs. It's just dumb that they would put him in there. Because, like, if zombies couldn't dig, we wouldn't have zombie invasions.
2: Right. Like, it's it's clear that the vampires think little of the zombies. But if this is such a known fact about zombies, you would think they'd be like, hey, maybe just put the zombie in the standing tomb where they can't dig their way out. We have plenty of those lying around.
1: This movie Screen is Screen wipe. Dumb. Point
2: number five. <laughs> Screen wipe. Point number five is redemption, kind of. Um, Elizabeth summons Vampire Satan, who that is all I will be calling him because that is all he was, really. He is pretty cool looking.
0: He is. Taye Diggs turns into like Chernabog from Fantasia.
1: I like when his wings come out.
2: Enemies of the, monsters outside these walls, not here. the whole actual plot of this movie is that the characters were trying to find the heart of Belial, which is basically a cross with a knife tip and some blood in it. And when you stab an undead with this blood, they become a giant vampire lucifer monster that can kill anyone you tell him to. So at the end of the movie, Elizabeth uses this to turn Tay Diggs into Vampire Satan, because as a monster hunter, she wants to use Vampire Satan to kill all of the other monsters. Vampire Satan has other plans, and so he rebels against his master. This causes Elizabeth to run away. She does order Vampire Satan not to kill Dylan, so, you know, she's not all bad. She's She wants him alive. She bears no ill will. She just also doesn't like him at all or think that he has any opinions worthy of any relevance and there is no romantic attraction there. Elizabeth shortly gets torn to pieces by werewolves, which also kills vampire Satan, maybe? Because there's a weird, like, vampire Satan fetus bird at the very end of the movie? Regardless, Elizabeth is dead and the movie's over.
0: It's a weirdly flat ending. Right. Like, it feels like it should be building up to something, like, kind of gonzo and ridiculous. And, like, they clearly spent money on the effects for this, but part of it is, like, so much of Ending hangs on this Elizabeth villain reveal that is just too convoluted to care about. So when she dies, you're just like, should have been more grisly. Like, should have ripped her in half, like, the sentry.
1: It was more grisly than I kind of was expecting. Because you do see the werewolves all descend and are, like, tearing her.
2: Right, you can tell that she didn't just get, like, a knock on the head and she was out. Like She got ripped two pieces you didn't see it but it is clear that that is what happened
0: yeah i wanted there's this i mean what i was alluding to there's this famous comic book panel from uh, a marvel comic called siege from around this time period where a character who had been on the avengers for like the last five or six years ripped a dude in half (laughs) like it's a two-page spread on the comic book page like you can see blood and guts it was like kind of controversial because it's gruesome for a marvel comic and just like When Belial turns on Elizabeth and is like, I'm here to kill everybody, including my master. I'm like, yes, fly up in the air, rip her in half like the sentry. Like, I want to see something preposterous.
2: That honestly would have been a better ending than just her dead now, because... You're you're right, like, a lot of the sort of, like, crux of the, you know, climax hinges on her betrayal, and she's actually gonna be the one who does this, and it, like, turns her into the main villain, but also the romantic interest, so not ending it with her redemption, and not ending it with a big flashy death, and just, like, she's dead now, is such a a letdown.
0: Yeah, the character just doesn't mean enough, so at the very least, her death should be
1: crazy. It is... Just classic, like, Villain of the Week. Oh my god, Will. (laughs) I told you, this panel is crazy! It is just like classic Villain of the Week getting written off. Ending. Yeah. Full TV show ending.
0: Uh, And anyway, Dylan Dog clearly ends like a pilot would end, like setting up a status quo where it's like, alright, he's agreed, zombie Sam Huntington can be his partner and they're gonna keep their business open on Craven Street.
2: Right, it ends on 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 a cliffhanger, but also on a path forward for a sequel or for a TV show. Like, they clearly, it feels like they had other intentions for this. Well, I mean, well executed,
0: this is like major European IP, and they probably thought they could go somewhere with it. Yeah. All right. So, gentlemen, after watching all of Gill <laughs> and Dog Dead of Night, for Marco, twice. <laughs> I made a Do mistake. Do we find the romance <laughs> believable?
1: Uh, I think we may have alluded to this throughout the episode, but no.
2: I actually, I have to disagree. Thanks, you maniac. So thanks to the fact that it was all a ploy on Elizabeth's part, I kind of find it a lot more more believable of how it could come out of nowhere. Right? She, she should but, have... Tried a lot harder. She should have. I'm not gonna give it a high score, but it the the sudden and inevitable betrayal actually made me believe in the romance a lot more than I would have without it. You make a really good. You, point I know. I cannot believe it. You make Thank a you.
1: actually a very convincing. The reason
2: the reason it seems so shitty and manufactured is because it was shitty and manufactured by design. Oh, God.
0: Okay, but I still got a lot of problems with how Dylan is into it. So every week we rate the believability of a romance on a scale from zero, which means we believe none of it, to ten, which means we believe all of it. Marco, where are you putting Dylan Dog Dead of Night?
2: I am gonna give it like a six or a seven because That's crazy. It that's is still it, crazy. You say whatever you want. That's crazy. I am giving it like a five because I wholly believe Elizabeth's part. And then like Another point. or Actually, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to give it a five. That's fair. Seven is too high. I was too generous. I'm giving it a five because I believe
0: exactly half of the romance.
1: I was going to give it like a right. one, but you talked me up to a four.
0: Yes. Yeah, same thing. You talked to me. I was exactly. You talked me to a four. I'll take it. Now, do we think that Dylan or Elizabeth is dateable? I think the answer is obviously not. Yeah. Absolutely not. A hard no, no on world, both. No. They will not stay together because Elizabeth was ripped into pieces. If you did have to pick somebody in this movie to date, who would it be? Marco, go. Uh, I mean, Marcus? Like,
2: he's, he is actually a person. He's a human being who has been thrust into this world and responds in a way a human being would. And also, you know what? He had a few actual entertaining moments. You ruined him for me by talking about how slimy he would be. You brought that up, so you ruined him for you, William. I know what, I'm going to stand by it, Marcus. Also, I think it would be fun to date someone with a name very similar to mine, so that's where I'm going to land.
0: I'm going to go with Peter Stormare, who is just a weird old dude. He's the leader of a vampire clan who also runs, I think it's an auto shop? I watched this movie a while ago. They run a, meat a meat packing meat facility. yeah. Oh. Because oh, they're fine. werewolves. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I would date him. He seems like a nice family man. Oh, uh, <laughs> he has a son named <laughs> Wolfgang. Yeah, he cares. And is that his daughter or his granddaughter? It's his was, daughter. Who's... His,
1: I think, yeah. yeah.
0: His daughter Mara. He's a nice dude. He cares about his family. And he has a weird intensity that I think would at least be interesting for a while.
1: Now, can I choose Cassandra? Because she did nothing on screen and as such didn't offend <laughs> me in any way.
2: Right, it's fine. <laughs> I'll allow it. She's probably not fully dead, so in the TV show, when she comes back in season four as the leader of a vampire ring, she will be dateable.
1: Ugh, I just looked at my notes again, and I forgot, I have to break this line up, because it's just such bad writing, I love it. I stayed away. It's your world that came knocking. And now someone I care about is dead. Again. With all of those periods included.
2: Let's not forget the very last line that is uttered before Elizabeth is killed, which was done by our good friend uh, Wolfgang, who I affectionately referred to as Vin Diesel if you bought him on Wish, who, (laughs) as his scary menacing you're going to die line, looks straight (laughs) in the camera and just goes, It's dying time. That's it. That's the whole line.
0: All right, Marco, we have one more important question. Should Dylan Dog Dead of Night this movie specifically, not the Dylan Dog character, be adapted into a stage musical?
2: I would love to see the character adapted. I do not think this movie would necessarily adapt well.
0: I mean, I think this character and this world are best suited to serialized storytelling, comic right. books or television.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a big problem with the movie is that they tried to give you a huge amount of lore all at once. And so instead of it being a coherent story, it was 10 vignettes of, here's an interesting fact about this undead creature in this universe. I don't know that it would adapt well to a a stage musical.
1: Rarely do I ever just say no to this question, but for this one, I feel comfortable just saying no.
2: I was tempted to say yes, because I I love a good musical, regardless of what it is about or its quality. But I I
0: don't know about this one. Well... Marco, when you come back, we'll have to try to find something a little more musically inclined. I would love that.
1: All right. I think that's about it for this movie.
2: I mean, I could go on, but please stop (laughs) me. I don't
0: want to.
1: (laughs) Thank you for bringing this to us, Marco. I enjoyed watching it again. It brought back some fun memories.
0: It has been a real delight. Uh, Next week, we are actually going to do the other movie that we fully announced and scheduled a recording for before discovering we could not watch it. Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, the only movie for which he ever won Best Picture.
1: I have seen this movie so long ago. I'm very excited to revisit it because the creepy housekeeper lives in my memory because of a That Mitchell and Webb short.
0: I have never seen it and I'm looking forward to it. Oh,
1: I think you'll enjoy it. Also, I need to send you this That Mitchell and Webb short because it's... So funny. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com.
0: Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show.
1: Oh my god. Uh, last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Dylan Dog, Dead of Night?
2: I am going to actually use a genuine piece of advice that I think could be gleaned from this movie, which is just be yourself. Because, as soon as Marcus accepted the fact that he was a zombie and went to the zombie support group, you know he he had friends and companions, and there was that lady zombie next to him that could have been a real a real partner for him. You never know, so just be yourself, guys. I'm gonna say, don't
0: date your boss. It leads to tricky situations ethically, and uh, Dylan, as a freelancer, is effectively working for Elizabeth. And that hazy work situation leads him into a bad relationship. Don't date your boss. All right.
1: My advice, find the only person who can get you the mystical occult artifact that you've been searching for your entire <laughs> life and then try and lock it down using sex.
0: All right. Mark is ready for the Uncharted movie. He is, he is here for this.
1: If the Uncharted movie does not have zombie Nazis like the original Uncharted <laughs> game, I will be so disappointed.
0: I don't think those have featured in the trailers yet, but they might be saving it.
1: Well, I mean, it is a like, mid-game twist where all of a sudden you're like shooting normal humans at the beginning, and then halfway through you're just mowing through zombie Nazis that were cursed by El Dorado.
0: I mean, I love that. It also sounds weirdly like Disney's Jungle Cruise.
1: <laughs> well, now I'm intrigued to watch Jungle Cruise.
0: <laughs> I think you should kind of watch it. You should watch it. <laughs> it's like, what if Pirates of the Caribbean were much less good? Yeah, exactly <laughs> that, in fact.
1: Wow. All right. Well, there you go on that note. Until next time, I'm gay.
0: And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 <laughs>